We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sam, listeners, Lightyear's podcast, do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Wow, that's amazing. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open up a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment and made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. DFS Gambler. Okay. Who I guess is betting uh, with someone else that he can do 2,400 push-ups in 12 hours. Do you th- Andy, do you think 20, you can do that? 24, well, I mean, if this guy is yoked and, and there's a bet on it, I 20, highly doubt. 2,400 in highly 12 doubt. hours is... 100 an two, hour. 2,000 or 200 an hour or 2,000? Bad math, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> 100 an hour. No, that's... Uh, that's No, I can't do that. There's no fucking way. It's 2,000. Yeah, there's or no, no fucking Sorry, way. it's 200 an hour. There's no way. Um, even, even if you could do it one time, think about it, you're going to have to repeat that every hour and you don't and that's assuming you don't get to sleep uh where can i put money on that sam so it's on betonline.ag and i've got to tell you guys i have had more text conversations about whether or not this dude can do this like i literally have two separate like group texts right now going about whether or not this guy is going to be able to do 24 that's when you know you have a great topic when you have like two to three different group chats arguing the same thing and you're copy pasting your same takes (laughs) group chat um by the way we're that was not even planned um but if you do want to bet on it you can use promo code blue wire so uh <laughs> so it all works out perfectly i guess we're doing a, pre, a pre-ad read and a mid-roll read so it, you know it, it gets even better by the way that's the voice of Zam, sam vicini uh draft expert from the F- and F- welcome to light years yeah no. <laughs> uh-huh. dude who just writes about the draft uh, i don't even know that uh i don't know that expert is something i'm comfortable with So, this is your is this your second year or first year covering the draft with the athletic? Oh, it's my third year. Third year. Sorry, I didn't even realize the athletic had been around three years. 
So it's been around, three, yeah, like three and a half, four years. And I was not like one of the original hires, like right. with Danny and with John Greenberg and stuff, but I was like in the next wave. So I was a, I was a very early adopter. Time goes really fast. Seriously, three and a half years. I feel like, anyway, I, I believe <laughs> you on that. And also I can probably just verify it with the internet. But, um, <laughs> but uh, what I was going to say is you've been covering the draft for longer than that. And yeah. I guess the first question to go with is like, are you, you're talking to teams and everything and like, what are they doing? Because they can't work anyone out like or anything at this point, right? Yeah, no. Uh, we're expecting it to be a very truncated pre-draft process where it's possible depending on... So am I allowed to curse on this? Yeah. So With us? Of course. The first thing that you have to understand is that nobody knows what the fuck is going to happen with this draft in terms of timing, right? Like, we really... Are trying. We're all in the dark on this right now in terms of is the draft going to be held sometime between June 23rd and I don't fucking right. know, September, right? Like that's a big weight, wide range of timeframes. And right now what I'm dealing with more than anything is hearing from parents, hearing from coaches, hearing from players who are trying to make a decision on do I declare for the draft? Do I not declare for the draft? Right? So what's happening there is, sorry, my mom's FaceTiming me as we're in the middle of this. Might be, that might be more important, actually. Nah, <laughs> good. Um, so it's these kids that like, you know, they maybe have gone through the draft last year. They maybe have a draft process last year. They maybe have not done it before and their parents are very unfamiliar with the whole thing, but they've talked to their friends about it that have gone through it before and have certain ideas about the way that the process is typically supposed to go. And this year it's going to be totally different and no one really knows how to handle it. I would anticipate based off of what I've, you know, the feedback I've gotten from teams and from, you know, league sources across the NBA, I guess is the, you know, way to categorize it, is that we're not really anticipating a whole lot of pre-draft workouts. It's possible that if the situation with the coronavirus pandemic gets better by like, you know, mid-June, if the draft gets pushed back July, et cetera, that we start to see some kids get flown out and some, you know, workouts maybe occur, but I don't think you're going to see a widespread circumstance where a lot of these kids that are, you know, ranked number 50 through 120 are going to get a bunch of workouts this year, just because, Teams are going to be very judicious with it, just given the practical reality of the situation we're in. Yeah, they don't have a four-month or a three-month process like the Warriors would typically have. Um, so, so that actually brings me to the Warriors. They're, they're going to pick somewhere in the top five. I don't think the even if they resume the season, they're going to fall out of having top five odds. Um, are you saying like their best case is? potentially getting in-person interviews with the top prospects, whoever they like Anthony Edwards, whoever Obi Toppin um, in like a very condensed, like one month window or something like that's their best case. Honestly, like with the top prospects, the interviews 
happen over the course of a month anyway. So I don't know that that would be like wildly condensed. I mean, like on a Tuesday, right? Two weeks before the draft, you have Anthony Edwards come in. Then the Thursday, you have James Wiseman come in. Obi Toppin comes in at some point, like in the next ten days, right? So, like, I, I don't know that in terms of meetings, it's going to be that hard to navigate. I think it's more. We don't know what like airplane companies are going to be in business, even right? Like, we don't <laughs> yeah. know um, how they're going to get places. Right? How they're going to get places, right? Like, typically during the pre-draft process, it's not uncommon for kids that are ranked like thirtieth or so, thirtieth through sixtieth in the class. Like, those kids tend to do like ten workouts. They'll do like seven cities in twelve days, and you know the problem with this whole thing beyond it just being you know a national pandemic and you know, tragedy in terms of the way it's being handled, like, is that these kids would essentially be like the patient zero, not patient zero, but like the most at risk kids if we did the pre-draft process in a similar way to what it typically is done. They're, They're exposing themselves to the entire country. Right. And we just can't really do that. Right. So I think that what you're going to see is a pretty truncated process where maybe teams do very targeted interviews. But other than that, I think you're talking about like FaceTime interviews. I think you're talking about, you know, teams that have done their background research early in the process being at a distinct advantage. Um, It's just going to be very interesting. I, I, I really can't emphasize enough that it's all very unclear right now. Like I think that even the NBA's league office isn't really sure when, what the timeline is for all of this, just because they're more focused and I don't think they're wrong for it. Like they're more focused on getting the season back started. And if that's even a distinct possibility, (laughs) right? Like the draft realistically should be, 90th on their list of priorities right so uh, whenever that's the case it's just you know throws it for a total loop despite the fact that you know i you guys a lot of the audience as a whole really do love the draft right he how how much does it matter though because it it feels like to me from the guys on on the top mm, let's say 10 uh, I, I feel like most teams have have a grasp of whether they like them or if they draft them. I feel like maybe it would matter for second rounds, definitely, and maybe the the second half of the first round if the Warriors trade down that far. But like, I feel like the Warriors have kind of kind of know like, you know, if they get the first pick, this is who they're gonna get, or if they get the fifth pick, these are gonna be our top three guys. Like, how much does missing out on on pre draft workout really matter? The workouts aren't that important, I don't think. I, I honestly think they're a fucking sham. Like, if we're just going to be real about it, right? Like, you're going to make a decision uh, after having but watched. They're great fodder. They're great, like oh, wingspan. He, we need to know the wingspan. Yeah, he um, he uh, he really displayed a Mamba mentality in the workout. <laughs> yeah, like articles. if you're going to make a case for a two-hour workout overshadowing right. 800 to 1200 minutes of basketball, you're a fucking moron. Like, that's really all that I have to say about it right now. What I think does matter is getting to know the person. And you can make the case that, like, yeah, you can do, like, FaceTime interviews and stuff. It is just different. Getting, bringing a kid into your facility, having him around your team for a while, you know, some of the players getting to meet him, seeing how that vibes, having him go out to dinner with the coaching staff, have him go up to, like, the board and try and diagram plays, 
and try and see how his feel for the game is going out to dinner, seeing how he interacts socially with people. All that shit does matter like straight up in regard to how a person is going to fit in a distinct environment, because I am a big proponent of believing that, uh, environmental fit and situational fit and developmental fit is incredibly important whenever it comes to the way that these players develop their overall games. Like I'm not a believer that, you know, guys become who they become regardless of where they get drafted. So I do strongly believe that it's going to be harder for teams to make these decisions without the, um, without the benefit of having guys into their facilities. And then the other part of this that obviously gets complicated is medicals, right? Uh, I'm going to be very interested to see how teams get access to uh, kids' medical reports. This Because typically they just do it at the combine and guys will skip the combine sometimes. But almost every time that a team picks a player, they have some sort of inkling of what they're getting in terms of medical reporting. Uh, right. And right now we just don't know what that process is going to look like if the combine doesn't really happen. So, so to your interview point, I feel like um, Jason Tatum is like the current shining example of it's not that he was a flawed player, but he was a player who had a lot of work to do when he came out. And um, the Celtics like loved the person and believed in him. Um, so I guess my question is, I want to take it back to what you said. Like most teams should have already done their work and their homework by now for a team like the Warriors who they knew they were going to be a top five pick. The minute Steph broke his hand, which was the fourth game of the season. Right. Like it's not a, it's not a secret that the minute he broke his hand, they pivoted towards draft. Everything being about the draft tanking is, is that enough time? Like, when you say, have they done all their work, are you talking about the whole season, or are you talking about, like, four or five seasons of work? I, that's a really interesting way to put it, because front offices obviously have a lot of disparate things going on, right? Like, Milwaukee is going to be a lot more focused on um, advanced scouting for opponents and potentially looking, sending some of their scouts on the road for uh, potential trade targets, right? Stuff or like even that. Just you know, the, the Warriors last year, right? Right. So a lot of the time, teams do send, you know, scouts and evaluators and uh, certainly sometimes general manager and assistant general manager and director of scouting level executives to scouting events, you know, such as Hoop Summit, such as McDonald's All-American, you know, some even like to get in the weeds, like with FIBA tournaments and stuff like that. But most of the time, I would say you're talking about lower level guys being involved uh, in seeing guys early on. Now, with the Warriors, I do think the fact that the organizational switch in terms of their priorities happening early does matter because it allowed them to focus on getting better and more intel early in the season on some of these kids now that may or may not be available to them right so the fact that they have made this shift i think is really going to help them uh with their decisions but It'll be interesting to see how the pre-draft process affects that. I think. How, how, Sam, how good do you think the Warriors 
I don't even know if you can. I don't that's know. If, a, I know yeah. where you're going with this, and it's a loaded question. <laughs> I know. That's why I'm kind of kind of trying to phrase it. Well, whatever. Fuck it. How, how good are they? Like how, how compared to the past, compared to the rest of the league? You know, it's interesting because you hear <laughs> things across front offices about how there is a there is a there's a concern about the Warriors in regard to their scouting. Um, of collegiate players that Travis Schlenk was the guy that really right. was excellent at it. And since then, I don't think it is. Man, fuck, you got me using my words carefully here. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they hit on Pascal, but you're right. From yeah. the moment Schlenk left, there they, was a. Um... Yeah, there's a distinct downturn in terms of success. And how much of that has to do with organizational priorities changing? I think that is, you know, a very fair question, right? Now, did organizational priorities change when Travis was there versus when he wasn't there? Not really. I mean, they were competing before right. Travis left and after Travis left. But I do think that, you know, losing someone who is that good at scouting and his reputation is very good across the NBA. I think that it can be very difficult for teams to adjust on the fly uh, and change or have success yeah. in evaluating whenever that is the situation. I, now, I, it, does it excuse the fact that they've been as unsuccessful as they have? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think that they're, um, I don't think they've drafted well other than hitting on Pascal just straight up. Even, yeah. even with the fact that they're late-ish picks, like that—that's kind of the excuse, or kind of what me and Sam have been kind of throwing around too, because they, they're late picks. It's you can't sure. hit always on you're those. Not, you're not going to always hit it like twenty-eight to forty, but yeah. No, you're not. You're not always going to hit it twenty-eight to forty, but you, know, you run through the Warriors' draft picks over but, that time. Like Damian ooh. Jones was—I mean, Damian Jones, I think, might have been before Schlenk left. Jamie yeah, Jones might have so. been the best one, to be honest. Like out of, out of the shitty ones, Jacob Evans yeah. and. Um, but anyway. Um, and like, so, I, I thought Jacob Evans was good, by the way, and I was like very categorically wrong. But, you know, nonetheless, like the, that doesn't excuse them I'll also being for, wrong. I'll never I mean, forget the first time I watched Jacob Evans in person. I'm like, oh, he's like much closer to 6'2 than 6'6. Six, six. And that gave me some some worry there. But um, well, the thing that's worrisome, he's just not an athlete is the problem. Like, right. That's the that's the main issue with him. Yeah. Um. So what I was going to say is, yeah, I mean, the the Warriors did definitely – so that, that's kind of why I can't read them because they spent – they lost KD. They knew this was going to be a transition year. You know, like maybe if Steph doesn't get hurt, they're competing for the eight seed, but whatever. They, they put all their resources in kind of playing up all these developmental hires they made. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's been a thing this year. And, I mean, you could – I mean – Pascal's been nice and like they, they're you know Marquise Chris looks like an NBA player and great right but um what, what I'm getting at is like I so I don't know what to expect from them from the draft in any way because um Bob Myers was Bob Myers even the GM when they drafted Harrison Barnes I think that might have been his first draft or he was named the GM right after that but basically after that point they've never been in the lottery right yeah it's just a totally different ball game drafting that early uh like, like we said, like organizational priorities shift in such a substantial way that uh, it is often difficult to tell 
just how, how good a team is at evaluating. It, it's like kind of a different mindset trying to evaluate, right. you know, late first round picks than it is early first round picks. Now, wow. the thing that worries me is that for some reason, they continue to put a lot of assets and eggs into the center basket in a weird way, like taking Kavon Looney, take a, taking uh, Damian Jones. I, taking, I see you're not familiar with Steve Kerr. Um. <laughs> yeah, like, but like that shit is driving me nuts. Like, you can find centers if you're the Golden State Warriors for cheap on the market every single year, and yet they continue to use these assets that should have been like gold to them in regard to trying to fill that spot. And over the last couple of years, I think they've kind of figured it out. Although the Alan Smilagich thing, I don't, I've never really understood it. Um, <laughs> no, nobody does. Don't worry. Except for Kirk Lacob. They, it's very they really bizarre. Love, they really love Smilagich. And I, I hope for their case, they're right because the, <laughs> the scenario where they're just completely wrong and everyone else is right. Does not. Bubble it's like, it's like not race. even bad, right? It looks like not even like whatever they lose a few picks, but it's just, it just looks bad. Like, it's like, what do you No, I mean, losing the picks up? is losing the picks is bad because it's generally just kind of points to, I mean, they can always buy more, but it's just, just well, just no, the, it's, it's, it's a comment on the, uh, the evaluator, the person yeah, who agree. controls the purse yeah. making poor decisions. But <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I was going to say it speaks somewhat poorly of the front office if only because they um made it so incredibly obvious to everyone what direction they were going and everyone just read them like a book and they had to trade up into the top 40 to get a player that i had ranked like a hundredth on my board like i think like he was barely a top 100 player for me because i just didn't think he was very good to be honest but i knew i ranked him because i knew they were going to draft him that, that took all of like what that took all of 15 minutes of Griff's day to figure out how to get two picks out of them. Um, right. But, but I want to move this forward because, um, you know, I, I do agree with you. Those are all worrying signs, but like at this point, everything's focused on that top pick for the Warriors. So Steve Kerr did say, uh, and I don't know how much you should believe him. He said the Warriors have cut their list down to seven to eight guys and given him film on those guys. I want to start you with this. Take a, take a guess at who the eight players that they have cut their list down to are. All right, let me uh, let me pull up my big board. Uh, I would imagine <laughs> well, it has to be they, Edwards, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, some of them are going to be pretty obvious. Um, right. I would imagine Anthony Edwards is on that list. I would imagine Toppin. that Weisman. James Weissman is on that list. I would imagine that Obi Toppin is on that mm-hmm. list. Mm-hmm. I would have LaMelo Ball on that list, like, unequivocally. Um, To me, he is the highest ceiling of any player in the draft. I would have Denny Avdia on that list. I would personally have Killian Hayes on that list. Interesting. Um, Now, some teams feel very differently about Killian Hayes in comparison to others. He is a pretty wide range. I would say it's, you know, some teams have him at fifth like I do. I think I'm like fifth or sixth. Some people have him like right outside of the lottery. There really is some worry about his athleticism, but his feel for the game is just exceptional. I can see them really liking Tyrese Halliburton. God, yes, that's Sam. That's that's Sam's favorite wet dream. It's just- in regard to just his feel for the game and his passing and decision-making ability. He's, he's a Steve Kerr player to the core. Yes. 
guy. Yeah, he is in, in a very what, real way. Whether you want to take that at like number two overall is a different question. <laughs> but <laughs> well, no, there's also like now a Kong Wu maybe. Well, I, I was gonna. I think a Kong Wu is someone I would have on it. I personally would not have Isaac Okoro on that like top seven or eight list. But if you go back and listen to some of the things Bob Myers has said over the years, you know. He kind of decided whenever everyone figured out, you know, shooting and floor spacing is the key, right? He made some comments about, you know, yeah, actually we, we just want well-rounded ball players. Like, you know, maybe that's the way that we zag while the rest of the league is zigging to where we are. And it wouldn't stun me if they looked at Okoro's feel for the game, his defensive ability, um, the way that he's able to make decisions, the way that he tends to diagnose things on the floor, if they did really like him as well. Oh, I, th- I think they love him. Um, I think in their perfect world, they probably trade down and end up with someone like Okoro and Halliburton. Um, yeah. That's just me. But that assumes someone wants to trade up. So, I, yeah, let's, let's go to this question. Okay, so everyone's assuming the Warriors are either going to – and everyone – Anyway, that's a different thing. Um, they're either going to package the pick, um, which assumes someone wants it, for some veteran who helps their core compete as their core is in their 30s now, yep. or they're going to try to trade down uh, in some similar capacity. Is there any appetite to even trade up? Like, this is the biggest thing I run into. Are there yeah. teams who are in love with LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards? Because I, I can see the Warriors wanting to trade to eight, uh, but that means someone who's at eight or nine – is dying for Edwards or LaMelo. <laughs> right. And, and like if Detroit was to fall to like seven or something and they feel like they really need someone like Anthony Edwards or LaMelo ball, like I can see a world where that exists, where golden state can package that with the trade exception, get pick seven, get Luke Kennard and like get a future first round pick or something like that from Detroit. Right. Like that's not a deal I would do is Detroit. But let's say that a team like that really just feels like they need star power, needs to move in a new direction and wants to try and um, move like that. Like the the interesting one that I have posed okay, in general, just to some people that I know is like, let's say that they get number one or number two. Boston is going to have to pay. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. I like where this is going. An exorbitant amount of money. Are you willing to trade Marcus Smart to Golden State? And if you're Golden State, is Marcus Smart worth number one or number two in this draft? Oh, I thought we were going to get a Coro and Smart. I was I was joking about it with Andy. Like the end game of the Warriors is Steph, Clay, and Draymond, Smart, Coro, and like every possible like. <laughs> "Quote unquote winning player who can't hit a jump shot." I mean, that'd be funny too. That'd be <laughs> hilarious to me. Maybe the move is that you do that and you trade the Minnesota pick for Marcus Smart, right? Yeah. Like the reason that I bring it up is I wonder if Boston would be somewhat willing to entertain that, even though like Marcus is you know the life of their uh, you know culture and everything, you know, but number one or number two in a draft does seem like an overpay for Marcus Smart, right? So so that's kind of what we're um, 
let's, let's take this is back. Is that a trade that, exception thing too? That's what we're, yes, they'd have yeah, to use a trade exception. Use the trade exception. That's what we're talking about is kind of like the high end of what you can get for a top one or the top three pick in this draft. Mark is smart. Because that's, that's the other thing I've been kind of struggling with. There's a lot of trade the pick. And in my mind, I'm like, for what? You know? <laughs> like, right. Is, is, are we talking about like somewhere between Ricky Rubio to Marcus Smart is like the range a top three pick can get? Oh, God. Ricky Rubio. Um, I pro- <laughs> I honestly, say, I don't, I'd probably do that trade. I wouldn't. I just the number one. Oh, are you the trade ta- you're talking about Marcus Smart or you're not? Not Rubio, Rubio. Not Rubio. No, no. Oh no, yeah. No, 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 no. Not Rubio. But Marcus, I actually really like Marcus Smart. Um, he he fits he, a lot with what he would fit really well between Steph and Clay. And you can play Clay at the three now. Just the NBA is so small. Um, right. And, and Smart can guard the one. Clay's so not Steph small, doesn't. and he's off yeah. an ACL. But and, and Marcus and, can guard threes if it's like a bigger, bulkier three that you're worried you about Smart causing issues green? with Clay. Fucking just. Just they're just, either gonna love each other or hate each other. <laughs> Draymond and Marcus Smart on the same team. I, I do it. I mean, I guess if it's a number one pick, you, you feel kind of like, ooh, that's number one pick. Maybe if they drop to the second or third. Um, I mean, again, Danny Ainge is pretty damn smart. Like he he traded and got Tatum, and he's that guy's a beast. So maybe you end up looking bad, but I mean, right? Like, what do you like? Smart's young, twelve million. Uh, fits right into that exception. So I don't know. Right, like I, I think like Marcus tax. Smart helps them win more than Three Anthony more Edwards does next year. Sure. And and I would say for the next Probably three the next, years too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I do it. Uh, hold on. Let, let me do a read. We'll go into the, the, the other top prospects that the Warriors are looking at as well. Um, so bet online. We talked about it at the top. So no NBA, no NHL, no MLB. So you might think that there's nothing to bet on. Yeah. Everyone knows that they're wrong. Uh, so our exclusive, exclusive partner, Bet Online, has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or you can let them bring Vegas to you, online casino and blackjack. It's all open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. So if you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. So visit the website. Uh, join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. All right. Um, we're back. And I, I want to talk about, Sam, I want to talk about OB Toppin um, because I think Interesting that's player. The, yeah, that's the guy that everybody looks at and you see like 30 seconds of highlights and that's what the, the standard fan is like, that's our guy. Like, we need that guy. Um, but there's a lot of real concerns with him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I do have him. At, I, I have a big board coming on Thursday, and I forget where. I, I think I'm three or four, something like that. You had, you had the Warriors taking him fourth or fifth overall in your last yep. mock, which was based off of one of those lottery generators. So Yeah, so with Toppin, you watch the highlights, and it's fucking spectacular, right? <laughs> like, it's just unbelievable. He is like there was a game, the last game that they played in the regular season against George Washington. In the course of like a 10 minute stretch, he threw down like a 180 reverse uh, under the basket dunk. He threw down like a Dwight Howard Superman dunk where he like threw the ball into the basket over some poor, unsuspecting like white kid. And then he threw down a between the legs dunk in transition, like in the middle of a game. So you just watch a guy like that and it's just like, 
of course this guy's going to be the most fun with the Golden State Warriors, right? But And then he can shoot as well. He's a really underrated passer. I think he's an underrated ball handler as well. There, there's a lot of skills there offensively to be really excited, and I think he'd be an absolutely exceptional fit with them on offense. I have like pretty real defensive worries with him. Uh, I went to see him this summer at Nike Basketball Academy, and you didn't really get to see him do this a lot at Dayton because he played the five and they did a good job protecting him. But like in those camps, they just make kids switch one through five. Right. And you saw him have to be put on an island against some really quick guards uh, like Cole Anthony was there and Cassius Winston and Peyton Pritchard and you know all these guys that are going to be in this draft this year. And I thought he really struggled to contain those guys in space. He was the best player in the camp offensively, I thought. But, you know, defensively, you just go back and you really watch him have to drop his hips. And it's not the most fluid thing in the world. It's a little bit stiff. Uh, you watch him try Shout and... Harrison Barnes. It's... He's not... It's not <laughs> quite the same as Harrison. Because he's just like a little bit thicker. Like Harrison's like kind of taller and lankier and... Toppin, despite the fact that I think he's probably a, like he might be way a little bit less than Harrison, he has this like kind of thick base in a way that Harrison oh God, he's even had smaller. but didn't really have, like because he was lankier and taller. Like he wasn't he wasn't even as tall as Toppin either. Like it was, it's he just looked very different from how Toppin looks, right? And the way that you see that bear itself out is that I do think that Obi struggles to drop his hips a little bit. And basically every time that he is, you know, put on an island, it ends up being a situation where he has to turn and try and recover and contest that way. Now, the thing is that he doesn't have great length, but he's obviously this unbelievably explosive leaper, right? right. And can make up for that sometimes. So how that works in the construct of Golden State's defense is really interesting because... Will Draymond kill him? <laughs> will Draymond kill him? Um, he probably won't be too excited with him as a rookie. I'll say that. <laughs> like, and then again, though, like Marquise Chris gets lost every fucking possession, and you know Draymond's willing to put up with it because of the offense. Like, Obi Toppin is just a more skilled Marquise Chris kind of. Oh, uh, don't. Uh, why? All right, why let's. Um, like way more skilled, way way more skilled okay. than Marquise so, so, Chris, and so, has way better feel for the game. Like, look. Like, we're not talking about the same level players, but at the same time, like, the skill level in terms of what the idea of Marquise Chris is, like, the idealized version of it is Obi Toppin. Got it. So, like, I watch Toppin and I see, like, offensively, you're like, oh, that reminds me of Amari or Blake Griffin or something, like, just like superlatives to, you know, like, some of the most gifted power forwards of the last 15 years. Um, but I want to go back to the defensive thing. So when you're when you're evaluating him, are you are you kind of you're not believing he'll ever be a good defender? Like, are we talking like John Collins to Amari? Like, you draft him with the thought that he'll never defend. Like, yeah, Col- Collins is a name that's come up in right. conversations uh, that I've had with NBA team executives. Uh, there is like a pretty real concern Who, that he's that, but like. You know what? Like, I think there's a chance that John Collins gets to the point where he's like an average defender. The problem is with John that he's just kind of stuck between the four and the five 
in terms of both offensive and defensive skills because he doesn't quite have enough like ball handling skills for how you want a modern four to play, but he also can't rim protect at the five. So it's really hard to like thread the needle of a center that can play with John Collins and make him the most effective version of himself, right? Like, I don't know that Clint Capella is it because I don't know that Clint can like handle the ball and consistently knock down shots in a way that like I would want to center to next to him. Okay. So with, I mean, with Toppin, you, you kind of have him in that. I mean, he looks like the safest bet among the top five to eight to at least be like a consistent pro. Right. Right. But, but the questions about him being a high level guy on the defensive end kind of limit him. Right. Um, let me put this in a warrior perspective here. I think he makes Can the most sense him? for them next year. As the, I think that like they realistically should be like there are very few teams that should be prioritizing next year with a draft pick, right? The Warriors are one where I think you can make a very genuine case for trying to prioritize what next year looks like because you're trying to get the most out of Stephen Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond but, Green. But can, to- can Toppin be a guy who closes games for the Warriors next year? Because if he can't be a guy who closes games... Well, no, none of these guys it, can. Well, yeah, but I'm getting to my point here, which right. is if he can't close games in the next, let's call it 18 months, like right. midway through the following year, I, I don't think they should prioritize the short term. My answer to that would be... If you believe that Draymond Green can still tangibly anchor a defense at the rim and slow teams down enough at scoring at the rim, okay, then yes. Okay, now that, so, that's a real question, though, right? Like, right. If, you, if you believe in some facsimile of the peak Draymond Green, then yes, right. Like if Draymond Green, who will be 31 for next year's playoff run. If you believe that he can credibly still anchor a defense on the inside while Obi Toppin's coming over from the weak side, because he isn't a bad weak side shot blocker because he has that explosiveness. Then yes, I do think that there is a reasonable case to take Obi Toppin. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I mean, I personally think that Draymond can still do that for the next few years. So I think that's, that's worth a discussion though. It ha- there has been some reports that the Warriors may not take him if they have a top three pick, but I think Sam and I do agree. We're you know when we chat, if the Warriors do get the number one pick, uh, I, we do think that they take Anthony Edwards. I, I don't think Lamelo Ball is is part of it. So is Anthony I think, Edwards I think just Steve the more Kerr hands in his you know resignment? Yeah. Yes, his resignation. Yes, <laughs> they 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 said. I think there's another report that's like, oh, the, it's not because of his dad that they won't take Lamelo. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, cut the shit. Uh, is Anthony Edwards just a slightly more explosive Dion Waiters? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the name Zach Levine has come up a lot in conversation okay, okay. with people I've talked to. So, better. I mean, that that's kind of what where it you, is. Where you, like every, <laughs> right. where you like every skill, but the sum of it just leaves you wanting a little more. Yeah, and a lot of it is really hard to gauge because of the team he was surrounded by this year. So the team around him shot like 29.8% from three this year. <laughs> so... That's, that's like the Warriors team around stuff. That's like right. Like <laughs> he looked like a guy that was like resigned to being a perimeter player often in the same way that Zach Levine is right now. 
How much of that is because he's a very rudimentary ball handler, which he is like, he's not a guy that is super shifty going forward. Not a guy that can like change directions and blow by like with all sorts of quickness. Right. He's a first step explosive guy who needs just like the smallest edge and advantage in the way that defender is defending him to be able to get into the paint. But whenever your opponent doesn't respect any shooters at all on the perimeter, it makes it a lot harder for that skill set to be effective. Right. So there are differing opinions on, and I think it's a really tough gauge, how much of it has to do with his ball handling versus how much of it has to do with the fact that Georgia just couldn't shoot around him. And I think that this this is where getting to know the person involved, getting to know his aggressiveness levels, getting to know right. how much he wants it is really going to be essential in regard to Anthony Edwards, because he's just such a freak show athlete that he's going to be fine. He's going to play in the NBA. It's just when you're taking a guy at number one, you want a guy with legitimate all-star upside and he's going to have to work at it to get there. It's not like a surefire deal with his skill set right now. Like I, I would feel a lot more comfortable taking Anthony Edwards in the top five of a normal draft than I would at number one, which is, you know, number one or number two, where you're going to have to take him this year. Right. Um, so someone compared him to Andrew Wiggins, which has been burned in my mind. Um, notwithstanding the fact the Warriors traded for Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> I so said that I, before they traded too. It's just disgusting. You you did, and I was. Us. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to give you credit, but um, <laughs> I don't. Well, I don't think he's quite that for what it's worth. Oh yes. <laughs> what Wait, I was although, say, although what that what's that mean though? What I was gonna say is evaluating Wiggins one year at Kansas versus uh, Edwards one year at Georgia. Can you, can you kind of give a comp of that? Like not because Wiggins is. A, a superior athlete, he has superior length, right? Like those are those are both kind of insalable points. Like Wiggins is six eight. You can't yeah, I mean he's just bigger and longer. He played the four a lot at Kansas, right? right. Like, you know, played the three some. Like, you know, it was there were often lineups where they'd play. I'm trying to think who the fuck was that point guard? Um, Nadir Tharp, Wayne Selden. Like Perry Ellis and Andrew I like, Wiggins. Well, I feel with, like Wayne Selden was at Kansas for a decade too. He well, was, as, yeah. as was Perry Ellis. Perry Ellis was there forever, but like, <laughs> still is. You know, and like they play like, if I remember correctly, was Tariq? I think Tariq Black was there, and I think Trailer. Oh that sounds right. But like they play Wiggins at like the three four, and they the Bill Self offense is just very different from what. Tom Crean's going to do like they would have Wiggins like high post. They would have him space the floor as a wing guy. Georgia like gave the ball to Anthony Edwards and was like, you can run pick and roll. You can um, be like a combo guard and, you know, do what you want to do and jack a bunch of shots. Right. Like it's just a it's wholly different in every single way. Um, They aren't some their seasons. Their freshman seasons are not similar in the slightest. Okay, rate him, but um, is it, it so? So it's not similar in the slightest, but is it is it similar in the sense that there's a I, like I think they're different play. Like I think that they're okay. different. You just, um, you just hate roles. the comp. You don't, yeah. you don't even want to engage in it. Okay. Yeah, Thank like goodness. he's. I mean, Thank you goodness. can maybe make the case that like is Zach Levine the 
shooting guard version of Andrew Wiggins. Sure. Like um, that, that might be a real thing, but I think Zach is well, a little bit I more guess, efficient. Are we, are we sending Anthony Edwards to Minnesota then? Is that the end goal here? God, I would feel <laughs> terrible about that. Right? <laughs> well, at least um, Levine can shoot. I mean, he can't play any defense, but at least he can shoot. That'd be nice if the Warriors had something like that off the bench. Yeah, uh, I so be- I think Anthony's going to shoot it. He took a lot of really shitty jump shots this year just mm-hmm. because they didn't have anyone else who could really create a jump shot on their own. So, like, whenever I see he shot 30% from three, I'm not real worried about that. Okay. Um, okay. The mechanics are fine. His touch is fine. Like, he shot 77% from the line. He, he's going to be fine as a shooter. I'm not okay. super concerned about that number. I mean, Denny, Denny Avdia looks like he can shoot. He's shooting 50% from the free throw line, though. What, what the hell? I mean, Killian Hayes also looks like he can shoot. Uh, actually, I don't know. But I think those the two guys. looks good. But yeah. yeah. The, the, those two guys are kind of the next one up that we want to talk about. Those are the foreign guys. Um, and, and, and you know, Strauss has come on. He loves Killian Hayes. And, and I love Denny. But I, I just don't know what the upside is with these guys. Yeah, Killian's interesting. Now, do you think, as someone who likes him, uh, do you think that he is a pure like point guard? Or do you think he's like a second side ball handler who um, you play next I, to I like one, a scoring guard? I'm 100% positive that Kerr would put him at second side ball handler because from the little I've seen of Killian Hayes, he likes to dance on the ball. So Kerr's yes. going to do everything he can to put him off ball. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the I mean, thing is, he it's does. Not, it's not even a bad idea, but it's just kind of like the nature of how he likes his offense to run. Right. Like he does like to dance a little bit, but the reason that he has to dance is because he just doesn't have like that burst. Right. He doesn't have that sure. low by speed that so some guys the have. Thing. I'm sorry, like a D'Lo thing. Yeah, kind yeah. of, except he's not as good of a shooter as D'Lo. Um, where D'Lo was like a 40% three-point shooter in college and you know 85 from the line, right? Like Killian Hayes is a good shooter from the line, but has never really showcased that high level of uh, just marksmanship uh, from three-point from the three-point line. So even at the lower levels, even at lower levels, no, yeah. Um, okay, I can look up the numbers while I'm talking about this, but yeah, with Hayes. I do think that I would rather play him next to a point guard, like scoring guard who can create his own shot. Cause while Hayes does have that really nice step back jumper that he can get to pretty regularly and can get to it on balance and, and fluidly in a way that uh, a lot of guys can't get to it. I do worry about him being able to get all the way to the basket and getting all the way, uh, to score regularly. So last year, Killian Hayes shot 18% from three. This year, he's at 29. The year before that, he was at 31.6. In youth competitions, he's been at 25.5. That's not promising. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, but like, I agree with you too that the mechanics look fine, right? Right. So I think that there is a building block there, and he has always been like a. 85 to 90 percent free throw shooter so i I think that's always the part that sticks out to me it's like you 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 look at everyone's free throw percentage when you see 85 percent you're like he has to be able to shoot at some level right and the thing with hayes that i think kerr in the front office will like is the ability to make decisions he is a guy that struggled with turnovers early in the season as he adjusted to playing at a higher professional level than he had ever played, especially as a starting guard. 
like he was playing Euro Cup this year. He was playing German League this year. German League's probably a little bit, I don't know if it's better talent-wise, but it's certainly uh, better put together in terms of like scheme than the French League and development of guys than the French League. Um, oh, really? Yeah, the, the French League is like known as a league that is not particularly high level with coaching. It's why guys often try and like leave France as soon as they get drafted. So what's up with um, because we, Marcus Thompson of your uh, your outfit reported that the Warriors liked uh, was it Theo Maladon? Uh yeah 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 Theo Maladon. Um, and, and it was it was a, it was kind of a vague report like it wasn't like a they're going to take him in the top five, right. just that they liked him. But he played for um, Osvell, which is Tony Parker's team. So what's the deal with um, – because I watched their uh, – I watched a bunch of film on him after Marcus told and everything like that, and they look like the most regimented, um, like very like systemic team I've seen in a while. Yeah, Osvell is good. There are like very real – yeah, there are very real exceptions to it. Like Osvell is really, really good. Um, I'm trying to think if there's another example of it that's pretty good. Um, Nanterre is also pretty good. Okay when it comes to coaching. But for the most part, the French league is known as like not a great developmental league, not a great, uh, not a particularly well-coached league. But Osval is a very real exception. Um, I am, I'm a little bit lower on Maladon than some seem to be. I worry a little bit about what the shooting level is. He shot 39 or so from three last year, but you know, he shot 33 each of the two years surrounding that. Um, I'm not entirely sure what his level is as a passer quite yet uh, in decision maker. Because if he's going to be like a second side ball handler, he's like six foot three, 180 pounds. Like that's not really going to work God. defensively. He better shoot like Steph, literally the same. Yeah, and he's not that. Yeah. So he basically has to be a true point guard. And that's just, he's never played that role for Osvell. Like, I'm going to have to go back at some point and, like, watch his, like, uh, Next Generation Tournament stuff and, like, go back and watch, like, Espoir, which is the youth uh, competition in France. Yeah. But, like, I, I just haven't really seen that level of high-level playmaking from him that makes me believe he's any different than, like, I'm trying to think of random athletic guard, like Devon Dotson, right? Oh God. I was, I was hoping you go like Dennis Schroeder, but now you're gone. I mean, he might, he might be Dennis too, but like sure. Dennis, you know, I think Devon Dotson's going to be like a good bench guard, like right. Dennis Schroeder, okay. but like, oh, God. you know, these are guys that, you know, you'd take 20th overall, not 13th. Right. You, overall. you talk yourself into draft night and then a, we a year later, like, I just hope they become a rotation player. That's what we, just, yeah, and it's going to take Maladone time too. Okay, I want to. I want to move this. I want to actually go back to Isaac Okoro um, because I really. I mean, I'm just based on my knowledge of the words and all my guesses. I do think there will be a push internally from people who think he's the guy to take. I'm not saying they'll take him in the top five. They might sure. try to trade down for him, but. Let's talk about Okoro here because you you seem kind of lukewarm on him. Like you don't see him as a someone you should be thinking about taking in the top five. Yeah, I think I was like one of the few that had him. I think I had him like thirty or thirty one going into the Ooh. year. 
Um, like I, I was pretty high on him going into the year and figured he'd be a one and done. And you go and you watch the defense and you get really excited. You watch the athleticism. You get really excited. He really can't shoot. <laughs> like, oh, perfect. Perfect. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I watched some film. It's a, it's some Draymond level. Um, no one's guarding you and hitting the side of the backboard. Can, can he action. at least handle and play make maybe, maybe pass? I mean, there's a world where that happens. Um, <laughs> he does have good body control and he will have some very effective straight line drives where he'll like Euro step around guys and have creative finishes at the basket. But like, there's not a ton of like shake as an on ball guy yet. Uh, he is not really a shooter. He has Seems, great it, feel. It, yeah. I was going to say it's, it's, athleticism and feel yeah. is kind of his thing, right? So he's, it's in that smart Iguodala, Draymond type of mold. Yeah. Like, no, that, that's, exactly, that's, exactly that's exactly it. And he's 230 pounds now. Like, he's enormous for an 18-year-old. Wow. And... 18 is good. Yeah, very young. Um, I'm going to cut that audio. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that's a different thing. <laughs> Like he shot like sixty percent at the rim, uh, or not sixty percent at the rim, sixty percent from two point range, which is good. Um, but I, I really worry about the shot. I actually have Devin Vassell ranked ahead of him now. Oh, the the, the floor state guy. Yes, uh, shooter, right? A little three and D. I think he's a similar level defender to Okoro, and I mean his shot chart. I'll send it to you guys after. His shot chart's like a fucking burning house of fire, like. It is all red, like all over the place. Like he is, and good in that way. Um, 41 from three, good pull-up scorer this year. Shot like 66% at the basket because he takes effective shots at the basket. He's just a, a really, really, really smart player who can also shoot. Yeah, 6'7", too. Yeah, 6'7", great length. He probably has like a 6'10", 6'11", wingspan. Um, yeah, and like a Coro. 6'6", six, 6'9", six, 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 wingspan, you know, has similar uh, length. But I, I really just worry about the shooting. Um, what's, it, what's the word on Okoro in terms of uh, intangibles? Because I'm, I'm really just trying to build him up at this point. It's like the next Jermon Green. <laughs> yeah, I mean, intangibles have always been high. Uh, always okay. been known as like a really good kid. Um, you know, hard worker. Uh yeah, no. I, this I, does sound like a Warriors pick, by the way. It's just, I mean, no, I mean, it does. Is, it really does. It, it does. I, sound I like really a, don't think they would, because like uh, Devin Vassell, is not much of a playmaker or passer, right? No, no. I mean, yeah, I, I would but say but the answer young. to that is no. He's not. He's, he's young. I think you can, but I don't know if that's how they'll view it. No, um, but I do. I do. Okoro really is a better passer than Vassell, based on my uh, just conversations and what I hear, I really do Same think sources. they're going yeah, shut up. Um, they're going to, there's a level of kind of trying to find the players who fit the uh, Iguodala, Livingston, Draymond type mold, as long as they have Steph and uh, Steph and clay, right? Which I mean is kind of no other team is, is allowed the luxury of having the two best off ball players 
off-ball shooters in the league. Right. Uh, whether w- once w- once we get beyond that, they're gonna have to figure something else new out. But well, I I mean I think that's why I don't I and and to me it feels like they're not really looking at my one of my favorite players, Denny Avdia. Um, I don't think that they'll draft him, but uh, and maybe that's why. Just because he's, I mean, a def- he's 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 tall, but his defense maybe not so great. But like he's he's a great passer, right? C- uh, certainly not going to be a defender year one or two, right? right? Yeah, I, but like he, he he can maybe shoot. I, I just I feel like that should be someone that they should be looking at. In like that, he's not going to be Jason Tatum, but at least you can develop him in a few years to be a legitimate playmaking wing. I, I, yeah, I think that's right. I, I think that that's kind of the role that you're hoping uh, from a guy like Denny. Again, I do think that that is someone that Draymond Green would try and murder in the he middle of the locker room floor defensively. Yeah. Um, you know, his team, Maccabi in Israel, like that's a big part, big part of the reason that I've been told like he wasn't playing early there this season. He's gotten better at it as the season has gone on and it's been hard for them to keep him off the floor. I think he's averaged like 11 and a half and like five rebounds over the course of his last five ga- or uh, 11 games. Uh, with Maccabi, which is really good for a Euro League team right. that's you know an elite team in Israel, right? So I, I agree with you. Like I probably would really consider him if I was the Warriors, but like I, I would have him below someone like Obi Toppin. I would have him. Yeah. Um, why is why is that? Um, because let, let, let's take this out of it. Let's, Just the, the physical uh, translation, I think, is okay. going to be easier for Obi to be able so, to play. Earlier. So it has nothing to do with you thinking the Warriors want impact in year one or two. It's more just like how you think the prospect will play out. Because no, I, I do. Get, I do think it's year one and two. Yeah. Okay. So if I was to say, you know, the Warriors are picking, they really don't care about this player's ability to make a huge impact year one because they're thinking long-term. They Do want you the actually player. think that's the case? Um, no. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Uh, but, I think it's, like, it's It's a reasonable case to make. I think they're playing. I think they're trying to play it both ways. I don't right. know that it's physically possible to play it both ways. Like, I think they'd be comfortable with a player who's not, a player who's playing 10 to 15 minutes instead of 20 to 25, if it was clear the upside on that player was better. Right. Um, I don't think this draft presents like that sort of dichotomy where it's like, oh, we have 17-year-old Kobe Bryant. Like That doesn't exist in this draft, right? Right. But um, in the outcome, like I think – well, I'll put it bluntly. I think they want the player they think is the most likely to be a sexy draft pick. Or sorry, a sexy trade chip down the line. Yes, that's really what it comes down to. Interesting. So that I agree with. So it, with that, as your it's probably Anthony Edwards. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. I mean, I guess. Probably. But let's just. I would agree with Edwards for what it's worth. Being by that far, guy. probably. After Edwards, what's your what's your board for the Warriors who are clearly looking for upside to potentially trade for? the next disgruntled superstar. (laughs) (laughs) Which one gets us Giannis? I mean, if we need to have a conversation about LaMelo ball here. Okay. That's right. That was your highest. That was your, your most. Yeah. Hit us. He is six foot six or so. He is the best live dribble passer in this class by far. 
Like he is a genuinely special passer and playmaker. This is not a Lonzo ball situation where he has super stiff hips and can't really change direction and can't get separation Mm -hmm. as a lead guard. Like LaMelo has all sort of shake and has all sorts of ability to explode in and out of moves and get by opposing defenders. Um, I personally, you, you guys will see with my board that comes out on Thursday, but like, I'm, I'm, it's getting really hard for me to not make the case for taking him number one. Um, I, I do have him at number one on my board. I, I can't, I can't get past just the flashes of unbelievable brilliance uh, on ball that he shows. In the flashes of unbelievable non-brilliance that everyone else shows. <laughs> You know, like it is partially that this class is a mess, to put it kindly. Like LaMelo Ball shot, what, like 28 or 26% from three this year and has a very real problem uh, as a shooter. But he's still six foot six and is one of the best passers in the world. Like. What is what is the downside outcome here? I guess is my question. If he can be like a good a team defender, <laughs> who can Rubio, who's unaware he can't shoot, that that's actually not great. That's <laughs> like not a, but that's not a disaster outcome. Right. I don't think. Sure. Like if he's like, and then like, what's the median outcome? Like Rajon Rondo. Well, Prime sure. Rondo was a monster. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, 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 okay. I see what you're saying. So you're saying. The and, the, is, and if he shoots it, it's game over. Like, if he shoots it, he's one of the 10 best players in the league, I think. Then then we got to watch these Nick Wright videos. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say. But I, I don't uh, think he'll shoot it for what it's worth, like, at a super uh, high level. But Do you it, think he gets to, like, I mean, do you think he gets to 34%? Maybe that's 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 what he needs to get to. going to take so many pull-up shots that I don't know that the percentage will ever be that high. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, oh, he'll take a lot of really difficult shots. That's what I saw in some of the videos where it's just like, is it, can he not shoot? Is it just cause he's a dumbass and just takes a lot of dumb shots or is it just cause it's a combo that he takes a lot of really poor shots. And also what we're kind of in for with players though, because it's kind of like they all think how, they've, Steph. how they've been taught, like put pressure on the defense by shooting from 28. Well, it's that. And like the fact that LaMelo balls, like lower body still isn't particularly strong. His upper body still isn't particularly strong. Like we often underrate how important Hmm. just physical strength is in regard to the repeatability and consistency of shot mechanics. Hmm. So as a guy gets older, gets stronger, you know, his core gets stronger, like everything throughout longer, you know, his core gets stronger, like everything throughout his body. You know, he's 18 years old. By the time he's 21, there is a real chance that it's just easier for him to shoot effectively. Right. Hmm. Okay, I want to I talk about one player before we let you go. And we appreciate all your time, Sam. Um, we probably should have gone to this earlier. But uh, James Wiseman is still <laughs> – the Warriors do do a good job of kind he of uh, – of, uh, not letting too much noise out when they don't want to, but they seem to consistently let his name out. Like people think they're really high on him. Um, where are you at with him? And just kind of, can you can you give us like a basic backdrop on him? So I'll kind of run you through my roller coaster of 
thoughts on him. Sure. Um, like the frame, I, I still, I've seen him so many times, like from the time he's been playing youth. Um, like the frame, understood why he was the number one player in the class when he was a sophomore. Going into his senior year, I saw him get just like demolished by uh, Oscar Shibwe, who is like this tank six foot eight center who's at West Virginia, who's like going back to West Virginia, five star prospect last year, McDonald's All American, but like very um, limited athletically in terms of you know explosive explosion and his yeah he's thick like he's two hundred and fifty pounds, six foot eight, super strong, right? And he just like punked. James Wiseman on the court, to be honest. And then a lot of the tape that I went back and watched, you saw these moments where he just like kind of couldn't deal with it. Right. Couldn't deal with the physicality the guys would present him. And I saw something turn last year, maybe like January or so. It seemed like he finally either put on enough weight to like be able to embrace, Brace and absorb the contact that guys were always going to go into his body with, or he just was like, fuck it. I got to do this. Right? right. And became an absolute monster rim protector to where the next time I saw him go up against Chibwe was at the McDonald's practices and Wiseman was just like shutting down the rim. Like he was in eclipse blocking out the sun. Right. Like nobody could score on him at the basket. And he legitimately looked like a potential all defensive team member in the NBA as a center, like potential top five defensive player of the year candidate Hmm. was really good at hoop summit. You know, all of the indications I've been told from Memphis's coaching staff and from, um, you know, people that have been around him is that he has the right mentality. He really wants to be great. But, like, it's also hard to get that first impression of him, you know, kind of getting, you know, thrown around a little bit out of your head as an evaluator, right? So the the question is how how much is he going to be able to deal with physical contact the guys are going to throw his way? And I also think there's, like, a real question about some of his, like, short area quickness and how he's going to be able to deal, deal on islands with guards, like, stuff like that, right? I also worry about what he thinks his role is on offense. Oh, he's one of those, huh? He's going to so, shoot a lot. Like, you talk to him, and he'll bring up names like, um, you know, like Joel Embiid and, like, some rim runners and stuff like that. And then he'll bring up, like, Giannis and Pascal Siakam. And I've never seen anything from him as a ball handler, passer, playmaker that makes me think that's within the outcomes. Like, I think he's basically a. So not a seven, two Katie. Got it. <laughs> no. Like, I think he's more <laughs> like miles Turner ish. Hey, people, mean, people have been clamoring. I would for trade miles the number. Turner. <laughs> I would trade the number one pick for miles Turner. Yeah. In this draft, but I don't think the Pacers would. So yeah. Like I, I think that that's going to be where he's, best is something like like that where he's like the centerpiece of a team defensively can shut down the basket an exceedingly high level maybe a little bit better of a rim runner than turner is because turner you know sometimes doesn't roll as hard as he can i think wiseman's definitely a better lob threat than turner 
probably not quite as developed as a shooter as Turner was, yeah. but does have that potential to be a shooter. The shot release so, and so mechanics many, are clean. Yeah, because I, I mean, I watched the three Memphis games, which is not the biggest sample. But right. um, uh, the, the one thing that did stand out was he, he shoots free throws far better than um, your typical raw college big right. man. Um, how, how long-term a project are we, are we calling him? Because the Warriors seem – I mean, they definitely let people know they like him, and I get it. I get the skill set there, but it, does it's not, hard he for, does not strike me as a player who will – I mean, he just strikes me as a player that's going to frustrate me next year because they have 18 centers with Alan Smilagich for minutes too. We're both praying that, that it's not going to be – it's not going to be uh, – James Wiseman with the number one pick. I think that's what Sam's trying to say. Yeah, as a general rule of thumb, it's really hard for me to advocate taking a non-creative force at number right. one. Um, and, I'm, and I'm with you there, just the way basketball is going. And I think we actually had this question written down, and we never got to it, which was, do big men even matter? Uh, they obviously matter, but, like, they, you know, it's just Outside easier of, to find them, is the thing. Unless we're talking about the Anthony Davis Embiid caliber of big man, like why are you wasting a top three pick on them? Type like, of guy? put it this way: like Clint Capella is a very real potential outcome for James Wiseman, right? Okay. High level rim protector, high level rim runner, a player every team would like. Player every team would like. Clint Capella just went for the 16th pick in the draft hmm. at the trade okay. deadline. Right, I no, guess that, contract's part of it, but you're right. You can probably get 75% of Capella in the bargain. But like that's a way. that's a good contract, too. Yeah. Like Clint Capella yeah. at $15 million a year for three more years locked down, that's like a cost-controlled contract that teams around the league saw as a plus asset. Right. I mean, everyone would like a player like Clint Capella at a relatively low number for the cap or, well, what we think the cap is. Um, uh no, your point your point stands. Like, it, it, unless you're getting one of those, like, yeah, like AD and B type big right. men, are we really going that route? So you're kind of saying Wiseman. If they were at five, I'd be like, okay, this makes sense. Okay. If they were at four, right. I'd be like, okay, this makes sense. If they're at one or two, like, I, I can't really get to a point under almost any circumstance where I would take Wiseman over Lamelo Ball. Okay, so we're talking. about... I bet you La they would. Lamelo. Oh no, I, I'm almost certain the Warriors would. <laughs> yeah. But I was I, in terms of from yeah, what I value what, in draft picks, that's yeah. just how I feel about it. You're probably right too. Yeah. So we gotta get through. So just, just on your board, we gotta get through Lamelo, Anthony Edwards, maybe I don't know, Denny or Killian Hayes, and then you're like, all right, Wiseman's probably the highest potential guy after that. Is that right? It's a good no? question. I would probably take Obi Toppin over Wiseman. Whew. Okay. Even though he's like, what, four years older? Three years older? He's Toppin's about three 38. years older. Um, I'm not someone that gets like up in arms about age when it okay. comes to this stuff. Um, like, obviously, younger is, you know, younger and as productive is better, right? Sure. Um, just thought you were going to say younger is better. We're going to have another good sound bite. <laughs> <laughs> younger and as productive is better. But I care a lot more about 
you know, translatably translatability of skill set, um, you know, where the specific areas are that I think a guy can improve and fit in regard to a specific roster situation. Uh, I think it's harder to find guys that can be somewhat creative like Obi Toppin than it is to find guys like James Wiseman. So you're, you're, so taking it back, you're not a huge believer that the upside on offense is beyond a play finisher. Like our best case is he's a jump. He finishes plays hitting shots and rim running. Yes, which is useful as a center. It is, it's super useful. Yeah. But, but what we're getting at is we're not going to have like a bam out of bio like, oh, wow, he <laughs> can pass type of situation. I mean, Unlikely. look, like those outcomes are always – plausible right sure. i mean like clint capella learned how to throw cross corner kickouts right um i would imagine that at some point james wiseman will learn how to do that but okay. in terms of being someone who like straight up like they can throw the ball like they can run a screen and roll uh get a switch with bam and then reverse the ball to him at the top of the key and he can like handle the ball and run like a cross corner opposite corner kickout. I'd be surprised. Like, I think that that's not a developmental outcome that you should count on, you know? (laughs) Gotcha. Like it's all, it's all like percentages, right? Like whenever we're forecasting things, it's not, um, it's not certainty, right? Like I'm not going to sit here and tell you James Wiseman's never going to be a passer. He's fucking 18 years old. Right. But we're talking about what are the odds that, someone who hasn't right. really shown himself to be a passer at lower levels becomes a passer. I, I would say like low ish, you know, not, not super high. Yeah. You're, you you're not drafting him to be your point center. No, I don't think so personally. <laughs> right. um, there, there are some people out there who think he has some upside as a ball handler in a way that I don't, but you know, we'll, we'll see. I think uh, I think as we end this, uh, Sam, I think I have uh, come to the conclusion that just trade the fucking pick for uh, I would Ricky Rubio. <laughs> I would trade the pick for sure. Um, by the way, uh, we haven't talked about Onyeka Kongwu. I think he's kind of an interesting fit for them too. Another one of Sam's guys. Um, yeah, um, I, I probably dra- probably looked right, at my. You, ju- you literally just call everyone other than the two players you like my guys. <laughs> Just hey, welcome like, to light years. A, a Congress. Okay, what's his comp? Um, the way I've been right. explaining him is like Montrez Harrell, except can defend. Oh, oh. well, that 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 sounds like a player because we 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 potted with uh, the chase down guys. So Justin Rowan was saying he would take him number one overall. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. But like, well, Rowan <laughs> is fucking crazy. So <laughs> yeah, sure. right. Um, but I. Th- think that like the case is very very good rim protector with great um great timing as a shot blocker very very good rim protector due to the force that he plays with like he's six foot nine 245 pounds good length um just really really strong and can hold down that area plus he has good flexibility good um relatively good ability to drop his hips for someone that size, right? And can actually defend on the perimeter a little bit better defensive instincts than what a Montrez Harrell has and is a similar level rim runner to what 
Montrez was, let's say, prior to this year. Um, he's really kind of figured some stuff out as like a ball handler and like ways to navigate around defenders at the basket to finish pick and rolls with Lou Williams. But uh, Onyeka is still 18 years old. And, you know, obviously you would bet on someone developing more uh, in those roles as he continues to get experience with them. So, yeah, th- that's kind of what I've been telling people about him. Like, I think he's like Montrez Harrell, except uh, way more way more adept defensively. I mean, to me, that that's someone that you can end games with. That's someone that I agree. can be yeah, – like that's a starting center on – you know, if you have Draymond, Steph, and Clay, even two, three years from now, like that could be – that's a contending team. I had no idea. That's definitely – I haven't even looked at him yet. Every other play we've talked about I've looked at, that's someone I haven't. That's very interesting. Um, the, the one thing that I would worry about with him and Draymond closing games is I just worry about like spacing, right? It's just going to be a little bit tight because they like to operate in the same like uh, free throw line, you know, short roll areas. Yeah, the Warriors really need Wiggins to shoot like 37, 8 percent from three. We'll see. Yep. We'll see. We'll see how that works out. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but no, Kongwu, that's that's interesting. I, I wonder if they I wonder if I think that is someone that they're looking at. That is a name that we've heard. I wonder if I would be surprised if he wasn't on Kerr's list of eight. Yes, sir. <laughs> And by list of eight, I mean the eight. The, the front by the way, told him. Steve Kerr looks like someone that he he definitely likes four year college players, doesn't he? Like that. That's a. <laughs> <laughs> that's there a, aren't that's any this year. A, <laughs> yeah, it's who's? Bad. I'm trying to think who is the best four year college player. I guess Obi Toppin's 22, so that could count. Yeah. Maybe. Can we before we get out of here? Let's do our Kerr list because I think his list is Isaac Okoro, um, <laughs> Halliburton. If Halliburton's on the list, but yes, he'll love Halliburton. I bet Halliburton's um, on the list for what it's worth. Obi Toppin. <laughs> and I actually think Wiseman because he likes challenge bigs. He oh, likes bigs God. to mold. A I good think point. I think he has just a fetish. Just less less patience with perimeter players who don't understand I mean, quite frankly, he just wants veteran perimeter players. It's easier to teach a big man to do X, Y, and Z than it is to teach a point guard to have a certain level of feel. God, if they if they just had Brad Stevens, you know, it could Jalen Brown and to me had no feel, um, but he turned out to be pretty good. But part of that too is you know that, that's why that's what makes draft evaluation so hard is scheme that they play in in college, right? That Cal team was another one that had less than zero floor spacing, right? So we had no idea what Jalen looked like as a driver coming out of Cal. Uh, he's very clearly adept at it now in the NBA. Uh, he also became a better shooter, obviously, and that really kind of changed some things the, for him. I, I think that's partly what they're thinking with Wiggins too, though. Like that's that's partly their thought is, you know, he's a little bit older, but you know, no spacing, no yeah. bit of a handle. So you know, I guess, I guess that's part of it. But um, Steve Kerr, I, I, now now that he's now that he's all in on the scouting thing, and Joe Lacob's all in. They wrote that Joe Lacob's all in on the scouting thing too. I don't fucking know where the, the hell they're gonna do. It, it can go one of two ways, and yeah, oh, God, <laughs> God, good times. Well, um, <laughs> we gotta wrap this up. Vasini, do we miss anyone? Are we? Do we hit everyone that the Warriors might draft? Um, I think we're good, right? I think we're good. I mean, like, no Cole Anthony. I don't no, think they would take shit. Cole Anthony. I mean, like, I I can't imagine that R.J. Hampton is. That's right, he's in there too. In this mix, 
Um, I can't. I don't think they'll have Devin Vassell that high. I don't think they'll have Precious Achua that high. Um, Someone named no, Kira, Kira Lewis. Yeah, I'm Kira not Lewis. a big Kyra Lewis guy. Kyra Lewis. That's how well I know him. Yeah, I mean, like, I he's fine. Don't get me wrong. Like, he's a first round pick for sure. But like, there there are some corners of the uh, internet that seem to be a bit too high on him based off of his counting stats and uh, without recognizing. It's, it's that, also that time of draft season. Yeah, you... like Alabama plays the fourth highest pace in the country. And he's still like kind of a turnover machine who doesn't really hit pull up jumpers. Not great. This this is going to be a fun draft. We're we're excited to see how the Warriors uh, navigate Just between talk ourselves into people. <laughs> which uh which landmine that they're going to walk into? I cannot wait. Uh, Sam Vicini, sir, thank you for uh for coming on. I'm sure we'll have you on before the draft because I don't think the drafts happen until December, so there'll be plenty of time. <laughs> Uh, we'll have you back on. It's just <laughs> going to be a free agency free for all. <laughs> they're going to do it on. They're going to do like a like a like a Yahoo fantasy draft kind of thing. They're just going to click the name. Uh, I would one hundred percent be here for that. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, man. We so. appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs>